This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Tell Me This. I am your co-host, Carrie Borkowski, here with my co-host, Dr. Brianne Ruse, and I'm super excited to introduce a new colleague, because I, I have shared with everybody that I have moved from Hopkins to Loyola, and we are now all Loyola colleagues with Dr. Jen Watkinson. So welcome, Jen. Hi, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Very fun. Glad yeah, to be here. Absolutely. Hello, Brianne. Good to see you again. Hello. Thanks. You too. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm seeing a lot of you these days, which is, which yeah, is an added Which bonus, is great. So. Yeah. <laughs> so by way of introduction, um, Dr. Watkinson is an associate professor of counselor education and program director of school counseling at Loyola University, Maryland. Uh, Jen spent 14 years as an elementary school counselor before joining Loyola, where she led a comprehensive school counseling program that was data-driven and intentional in meeting the mental health needs of children. As a counselor educator, Jen partners with local school district leaders to mentor school counseling professionals on how to shift their time away from non-counseling related responsibilities to increase their time on developing and implementing the ASCA national model. Maybe you can tell us more about that later, uh, Jen. Sure. <laughs> she co-wrote and was the lead on an elementary and secondary school counseling program grant that was awarded to a local school district. And while administering the grant, Watkinson worked collaboratively with the district leaders to hire more school counselors and increase the number of professional development opportunities available to those counselors. Over the eight year, over the last eight years, Watkinson has supervised countless school counselors on transformational leadership and tier two interventions. Further, Dr. Watkinson has mentored school counselors on how to identify and dispute assumptions they hold about their role to transform their practice. And she has written and presented on topics related to school counselor supervision, professional advocacy, leadership, and school counselor practice. Her new research interest is in supporting mental health needs of student athletes. I cannot wait to hear more about that, by the way, yes. going through the college recruiting process. I was so excited when you mentioned that during one of our meetings. So, um, man, I, that is a long and busy bio. <laughs> I don't even know how you had time to fit in a podcast interview today. Uh, Jen. Uh, it's been a long career. So <laughs> yeah, a, yeah, a busy and productive and quite valuable. I, as I read that, I was thinking, I just don't know that we'll ever have enough school counselors, mm. especially if given coming out of a pandemic and still feeling so many effects of the the pandemic. So I, I would suspect that you're, are you busier than ever right now? <laughs> you know, um, 
Busier than ever. I feel like it is always busy because, mm. you know, um, I see myself as liking to create and liking to problem solve. So I feel, Carrie, like in the conversations we've had, I feel like you're very similar. Mm. Um, so you're always finding new opportunities, new paths, new things to take. So there is a part of me that says, when will I ever feel like I can just sort of um, not do something new? Yeah. And then I realize I just put myself in those positions to always be doing something new. So yeah, I love here that. we are. And maybe that's yeah. one of the many things I love about you. So, <laughs> so, so thanks and welcome. And I'm going to, Brianna, I'll leave it to you. Yeah. Well, I can definitely attest Jen that Carrie is like-minded because every time we talk to her, she's like, I know you're going to think I'm crazy, but I just have this idea I want to share. It's like, <laughs> every time. <laughs> yeah, no, I've already, I've already gotten that. We've been in a meeting <laughs> together and like, there's a little powwow. I'm like, <laughs> Brianne is really That's good awesome. for me too, Jen, because she's learned just to listen and let me sort of simmer down a little bit. And then, come back to and then she's like, okay, now how do we do this? So yeah, I love great. the ideas. I yeah. love the ideas. So it's great. Me too. Um, <laughs> But Jen, thanks for being here. And we always like to start with really a check-in. So how are you? How are things going? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I think, yeah, no, they're good. They're good. While, while there is a sense of busy, I think there's also a sense of control, if that makes mm. sense. Like you're not feeling necessarily super overwhelmed, but like very intentional about ways that you're spending your time and where you want to shift your priorities. So so I'd say good, good headspace for me, for sure. I like that. That's a nice contrast from, yeah, maybe from the past few years where it's busy and so out of control, right? Yes, yeah. right. absolutely. I don't know that we would have distinguished that feeling maybe pre-2020, uh, but yeah. I think it's an important distinction because you're always going to be busy. Right. But without the kind of the chaos and the fear, it, absolutely. it feels different. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, Jen, you have, you have two kids in college? Yeah. So I do, but one is in graduate school. So that makes me even older. <laughs> I'm like, really? Yeah. Oh, I, didn't, so, I didn't say it for that reason. I was just checking to see how they were faring this semester. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have, um, so I have a son who is a um, freshman and a D1 athlete and is learning very quickly what it feels like to be in eight hours of study hall uh, 20 hours of practice, um, doing the things that, you know, you need to do to bond with your team. And then like also getting into courses and like making sure you're submitting things and, you know, that you have word on your computer and <laughs> that you know where things are. Yeah. And yeah. And then I have a daughter who's kind of, who's in graduate school and she's, um, a post athlete. So she's, Okay. just finished up her four years as a D1 athlete and now is in this whole identity um, role shift of being something um, outside of just identifying as an athlete. So mm -hmm. uh, yeah. it's super fun. It's fun. It's fun. As long as they're both happy, I feel very settled. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, that's a, I know a podcast for another day, but that's such an interesting transition. I know Brianne can attest to it as well, moving from being a, a D1 athlete and, and moving on to something else. It's a, it's definitely a shift. So, and you um, too. Yeah. 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 It's, it's yeah. definitely a shift. I, re I remember it that. Yeah. So, so it's, it's, it's a, it's related, right. But a different topic. So maybe we'll touch on it a little bit today. So, so Jen, as I was, I was 
I told you in a, when we weren't recording that Brian and I really were intentional with this season around relationships and belonging. And the intention was to really have people on the podcast who come from all different perspectives, all different disciplines, mm-hmm. different contexts to really dig into what it look, what belonging looks like from those different lenses. And so to start us off, I would love to hear sort of how you frame this idea of belonging, given your identity as a mom and a school counselor and a researcher and all those good things. Yeah. I mean, um, so I feel like in the very, uh, basic, I guess breaking into something very, very basic and I think somewhat relatable to me anyway, when I think about belonging and it's just uh, being able to be authentic, Mm. um, being able to be with a group of people where you feel like I don't have to fit in to expectations that you have, and that you're going to be okay with me mm. and, and all the bad things that, you know, are part of me, you know what I mean? Like everything about me that's human, um, that I don't have to feel like I need to compete for your attention or your approval. I, so I think at the, at the base, I feel like that's belonging. And when I think about um, how you know if you belong, if you belong, um, I think you know, people will talk about like, you're my person or this, these are my people, you know? And so I think language really gives such a nice um, contextual sort of um, yumminess to this whole idea of, you know, what belonging is, you know, simply by how we talk to, you know, talk about the people or label the people that we feel most um, able to be ourselves with. Mm. Love that you said yumminess. <laughs> in a sentence about language. Yeah. In a sentence, I, was, I was like, and then I like was cuddling up against this warm fire when you said that. So it, just, it definitely elicited this wonderful feeling. I, I wonder, so authentic ability to be authentic, not having to fit in, which I, I so appreciate. I'm curious, do you notice, I mean, as a leader and expert and really as a practitioner as well of all things counseling, do you notice how those professional sort of that professional lens in influences your thinking around belonging? I'm, I'm wondering. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think, um, I think the best sort of kind of way I can frame this is even in my, in teaching, right? Like where, you know, sometimes we look at ourselves as teachers, like we have to be these experts. We have to be these folks that sort of position ourselves above mm. others. You know, we, and, and, um, and I think really being able to embrace this idea of belonging and really getting a sense of what people want and need is not somebody who knows everything, but somebody that they can relate to. Mm. And so even like once I was able to make that shift away from needing to be the everything and the expert and the whatever to, wow, I could just sit with you in the mess of, you know, learning this, um, 
this discipline of counseling and being able to apply something that seems like it doesn't really have a lot of um, structure to it uh, was nice, was nice. So I would say, you know, really being able to think about um, what was important to me and reconnecting with what I value in terms of, you know, myself outside of my profession and then bringing it in Mm. was a huge like exhale. Mm. Um, So I would say like, that's some of the ways that I think, you know, my um, understanding of belonging has entered into my professional Mm. work with, with, you know, the people that are in our program. Yeah. And it really sounds like you're walking the walk, right? Because I'm not a counselor. Um, But it seems like when I've had conversations with people in a counseling like way, they're just sitting with me in the mess is sort of the magic. And so if you're doing that as the teacher with the students and you're teaching them about the counseling, there it is. Right. Um, Which I love. And I, I don't know, I, I try to do that, even though my content is not counseling, I think there's an important element of sitting with students in the mess, regardless of what's coming next in the conversation. And we've, that's just something that we kind of talk about a lot. I think yeah. that. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Do you think God? No, I just to to kind of circle back with you on that. And I think there's value in sitting in mess. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's yeah. value in um, entrusting somebody to be able to get themselves out. You know, um, and giving them that sort of reassurance simply by being there. And I think that's the other part of belonging that you know, when you belong to somebody, when they're willing to sit with you in the mess Mm. and in the ugliness and in the, um, the discomfort that you have and not rush you or judge you, um, you know, that they have your back. And so I think that's the other sort of ways that we as counselor educators or professional, you know, professors can really show, um, acceptance and belonging, you know, those kind of characteristics of belonging to our students. Oh, that's so, that's so true. Like just, I I can't tell you how many times (laughs) as an adult who sort of is getting to know herself much better. How many times do I say, don't try to fix me, just be here with me. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's don't try to fix me. I had a, I had class night last night with a group of graduate students and we're learning how to practice critical reflection. And a question came up about getting unstuck as a leader. And somebody astutely said, the best way to get unstuck is to just sit in the stuckness for a little while, Yeah, which is exactly, I feel like what we're talking about too often. We try to hide, you know, I'm putting my, my, my hands over my ears, like ignore it, run from it, duck and cover. And the reality is you just got to sit in it for a little while. And I guess I would take it one step further, like Carrie, with your book, you say notice a name. I think it's important mm-hmm. to sit in it and, and talk about it, like yeah. name it, like I'm stuck or this is uncomfortable. I mean, we always, I ask the question a lot, what's the hardest part? Like, let's just be really clear about what the mess is yeah. so we can all be there for a little bit. And then sometimes once the mess is named, then we can pretty easily transition to something else. So absolutely. Yeah. I um, will say just to to remind audiences too, I had a great coach this past spring who was helping me through some, I don't know, some career transitions. Um, and <laughs> something that she reminded me of was, um, what was I going to do to celebrate? Mm. Because as much as we focus on sitting in the mess, 
I would argue that we also don't spend enough time sitting in little celebrations. And I said, I was going to take some time to celebrate that this is like an important thing. So, so, so we can apply the same approach that we use in those difficult moments to also our really good moments. So. Yeah. I, I put this in the category of it's much easier to teach this than to do it myself, oh, but totally. I aspire to it. And <laughs> it's a good, it's a good goal. Absolutely. Um, Jen, you are in so many different types of relationships with your students, with counseling, with colleagues, et cetera, your family. How critical do you think belonging is to those relationships? You know, I, um, I think there are different levels. Like I, and I don't know how to say that in a really, um, I don't know, If I am with my students, right? They they need me, they need me differently. Like, you know, the the risk of vulnerability and things, you know, there it's limited. You know, I'm not gonna, they're not gonna tell me everything about themselves and put it all out there for me to kind of sit with. But what they will share are, you know, surface kinds of things that impact what they're struggling with in the moment. And so just being able to be, um, to listen, to try to be as non-judgmental as you can be, to remove a label from a person and to just really help them focus through the problem solving. Like, I think that's, um, that's one level of it, right? But would they consider me their person or their whatever? Probably not and, mm. and vice versa. But but I think those relationships um, that you really feel vulnerable and are willing to expose parts of yourself that I think really create that deep, rich um, place for that belongingness, that that comfort, you know, where that comfort is. I think we I think we reserve that for very few people. So I guess I would say there's there's like layers. Um, but I think in all of it, it's about being relational mm -hmm. and it's about, um, again, being able to be with people, but also to have some boundaries, um, expectations, some accountabilities, recognize where your role is within that person's life um, that I think is, is really important. And I tend to be a very informal person. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm like, again, I, I'm originally from New Jersey. And so like sarcasm rolls out of my mouth. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'm like, put, I wish I could like <laughs> shove it back in my mouth because it's not um, always understood really well. It doesn't translate to, you know, every part, every culture in yeah. the United States or every, you know, like, so you just, I recognize and I've recognized better that, um, you know, there are just some, folks that I, in some places and spaces that I need to like kind of reserve that part of myself mm. for differently. But I would say um, just really making sure that I'm relational and making sure that people feel like um, for whatever role I play in their lives, that they feel like they can um, come to me mm. and feel a sense of support or an acceptance and grounding, even when, you know, some of that is pushing 
and challenging them to do more and give more. And, um, and so I guess, you know, I guess it is critical, but I think there are definitely different, um, based on your role, different kind of uh, layers that you're gonna reveal about yourself that I think limits how much of a sense of belonging you can have towards a person or a group of people. And yeah, I think it does make sense. And the word boundaries, I think you used it and I, I wanna circle back and highlight it because that to me is the word. So I think you can be very real with people and you can be authentic with people without being, you know, sharing every detail right. of, of your life. And I wonder if that's sort of what you were getting at when you were saying being relational and kind of having that acceptance and the grounding of, I'm gonna be real with you, but being real doesn't mean that you're oversharing. Right. In fact, I think oversharing can have the opposite effect. And right. we've read that with Brene Brown and others. Right. But um, so if I'm hearing you right, it sounds like belonging is important to relationships. Belonging also differs depending on the relationship, like you with your students versus you with your children versus you with kind of your people, right? Your dearest, right. tightest, best people. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I hope that everybody understands that difference because it's such a critical one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I used to say, I used to work in the hospitals, I'm a speech pathologist, and I used to say that I can establish rapport with a patient in 10 minutes. I could also sit with a patient for 60 minutes, three times a week for four years. I think there's an ability to, and I think belonging goes beyond rapport, but it's this idea of being able to be candid and honest and sincere and sort of authentic with somebody. And you can do that regardless of setting. I think it's a skill set that we can learn maybe. Yeah. And, and I think part of it is being present, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, there's a thing in counseling where, um, you know, Cashwell talks about this idea that a counseling session is sacred, you know, it's a sacred space, sacred time, and different counselors may approach that, um, that sacred nature, um, you know, differently, but I think it's, it always strikes me. I always loop back into that because I think about um, the fact that, you know, particularly in my role as a helper, you know, people are coming to you with certain vulnerabilities and certain things. And then how do you stay present mm. even when you feel like, oh my gosh, I have 16,000 things to do, or, oh my gosh, I'm so super tired. And you're talking to me about this at 10 o'clock and like, I'm <laughs> trying, you know, like to, to kind of <laughs> allow you some space so that we can pivot and you know, maybe set up a different time to talk or, or whatever the case may be, but like, how do we really not think of the laundry list of things we have to do when we're with somebody? Cause people can tell. Yeah. And I think oh, yeah. through that, um, we do some, you know, relationship damage where people start to question how much they can really feel, um, authentic and connected to you. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So I want to dig into this a little bit more because I want to make sure I'm, I'm some of the things you said, I, I okay. think I understand and I just want to reflect it back and then try to dig it in a little bit more for our audience because I really like to get to the brass tacks on this if we can. Sure. So, so I think what I'm hearing you say, I wrote down a couple of things. Clearly, authenticity is, is key because you said at the beginning, ability to be authentic. Then we added this word boundaries. And so what I think how I interpreted that was. Um, and this is what I want want to hear from you about Jen is what 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 I immediately thought was belonging looks different 
with different kinds of boundaries and different kinds of relationships. So I want to check in with you because what I wasn't sure of is, is that, is that the appropriate and accurate interpretation? Or are you saying that belonging won't always show up in every relationship? Does that, does that make sense what I'm asking you? I think so. I mean, I think if I look at, and, and again, this is just like my meaning making of it. So I'm not suggesting. That's why you're here. We want your meaning. making. (laughs) But I I see, I see boundary as kind of a, or the, excuse me, um, belonging is almost a continuum, Mm. you know, where, where there are certain people, right. That you, feel, again, we might identify them as these are my people, or these are, this is my rock, or these are my, like, we use terms like that for certain people, Mm -hmm. because we know that we have safety there. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I think there are other people, you know, depending upon our roles in their lives, that, um, that we, again, want to strive for this, this belonging, but it's, it's, it's not going to be at the same kind of um, this you're my person kind of place. Yeah. Right. It's, it's going to be, and I think to, to your point, like it's going to be based around some of the boundaries in our professional role for you, but at least, you know, where maybe you don't feel um, like, Oh my gosh, you have to identify me as your professor, as your person, right. but hopefully you can identify me as a support or mentor or, you know, somebody who you feel like, okay, I can, I'm connected. I, I, I know I can be authentic. I know I can with that particular person, but there are, there are some limits to that role yeah. um, that, that I think, sense. you know, is appropriate. So I would say belonging, you know, we want to be able to establish a place where people can feel that they can be who they are, that they don't have to fit into any formed idea in our head about who they should be. Mm-hmm. But I think the, the, the depth of that belonging is going to look different based on the nature of our relationships with somebody and the roles that we have in, in the lives, in their yeah, lives. Absolutely. I don't know yeah. if that's. No, it does. It makes sense. I think, you know, and I know Brianne, you highlighted this, this boundary piece, you know, I think Jen, what I hear you saying and what it's so cool to I hear you articulate it is that part of being authentic is also setting boundaries, like being in a space where the people around you are totally okay with the boundary you've set for yourself, that they're trusting that that's your authentic self in that moment. And so I think we sometimes forget that authenticity includes identifying boundaries. So I, I love that you pointed it out. I guess one other question I had about this because we really love to offer people practical sorts of things. So it's evident that the language of being being with my people or that I always say to Brian that just lit me up. Like I just know when I'm in a space and I just feel like I am so lit up right now because I'm so aligned completely. Like I so so I think I know on that like far end of the belonging continuum when I'm with I'm in it, right? Yeah. I'm yeah. wondering do you in your own work see or identify other markers of at different levels of belonging like for mm-hmm. instance if 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 you're aware of the boundaries like you know that this you aren't with your people in terms of just being all of you 
but you know, there's belonging in this space. And I'm wondering, how do you know, like what's telling you that there's belonging there? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I will, um, and you guys are both, you know, brought up in sports. Yeah. So maybe you can relate to this too, but I think one of the biggest things that hits me in the face um, is in youth sports. So you can tell what people think of your kid, right? Mm. In terms of their talent, by the way that they begin to describe the us and them, you know? So it's the, like there are certain, um, so silly, but there are certain like hierarchies, right? Mm -hmm. On teams. So you have like these folks who have been, you know, um, dubbed like the elite, the, the this, the that, when they start like, having inclusive language with you, then you're like, (laughs) (laughs) I made it, you know, but at the same time in that space, Mm -hmm. like you recognize it's always a comparison, Mm. you know, that you're always like one foot out of being like pushed off the boat. Like if they only had two seats, like you might be out, like you might be like, (laughs) chucked overboard. Yeah. And I would say like one of the markers for me is if, um, if I don't feel like I have to compete with you now, like Mm. that we can be in the space together and not feel like we have to compare each other. Mm. Um, and, and that I think can, that I think can kind of be on any like continuum level, right? Like that I can just sort of breathe and not perform. Mm. Does that's, that making, make, that's making me that's making my shoulders just drop because I feel like if if we could live in a world where there wasn't comparison oh how much better things would be <laughs> or that at least you know because the other piece that I believe in terms of belonging is that um we have to feel okay with ourselves like so yeah. we have to accept ourselves mm. um you know and and like the chicken and the egg, I always wonder, is that the first thing that has to happen? Or is there this narrative or the story that kind of, you know, gives you these cues that you can sort of do that. Um, But I think being able to be really grounded, and that's one of the things I love about leadership, is you really have to ground yourself in your values and your beliefs. And um, because that, that sort of anchors you and it begins and that reflective space just begins to sort of allow you to, to develop some roots over who you are. And so recognizing when even these comparisons come in to, to at some point say, I don't want to be that. Like I never really wanted mm. to be in that space anyway. If I did, I would have made different choices. And so I think part of it too, in terms of belonging is being able to do some of our own introspective work mm. to accept who we are to love, you know, ourselves, that sounds cliche, but to, and, and to reframe, you know, failures into like trial and error and learning and growing and developing and recognizing that if we didn't feel uncomfortable at some points in our lives, we wouldn't be growing, you know, we would be settled to one particular, um, you know, time period in our lives and never move forward. And so, I think for me, some, some of, once I got a little bit more comfortable, even sitting in those spaces with parents and like 
you know, to be like, oh my gosh, like, you know, like to, to kind of like see what's happening in a, in a very like kind of objective, as much objective as you can be about it. And then check myself and say, what am I feeling about this? Like, why does that not being in this group, why does it bother me? Mm. Um, And then, you know, so, so I think, I think I definitely, I think for me, a marker of um, feeling like I belong in addition to like, you're my people and I can depend on you, rely on you, you're going to be there and show up for me is um, that I I don't feel like I have to compete with you. And I think Mm -hmm. some of that is also on me to be able to drop that and just be comfortable in the imperfect way that I show up to people and the fact that I can't be everything to everybody Mm. or even myself, you know. I really want to do an entire episode on belonging and sports and parenting. And I mean, as you're talking, I'm like, she's describing me on the field hockey field this week. <laughs> like, it's like you're reading my mind. She was there. You didn't know it. She was there, yeah. <laughs> um, just so fascinating. Really, really fascinating. But what I'm hearing is there's a freedom in that. There's a freedom in not having to compete. And Carrie's shoulders go down and, you know. I don't know. I just, I literally was putting myself in that situation and I resonate so deeply with all the words that you said. So let's talk about how to do it from a a really practical kind of strategy standpoint. How do you, how do you do it? How do you cultivate belonging in in these relationships, knowing that that's different with your people versus your students? Mm -hmm. Could you share some strategies? Gosh, I should, right? Because I'm a counselor. I should be able to share some strategies. But, you know, um, you know, honestly, I think for me, some of, some shift like started happening for me when I stopped pretending that I could be the expert everywhere. And I started really um, being more human and giving myself more grace. I found that in doing that, I could give other people more grace. So I think some of it, you know, in terms of a strategy is just starting to listen to your internal voice and yourself and ask yourself, where are these things coming from? Um, All too often, I think the focus of the exploration is outside of us. You know, we make assumptions about what other people are thinking or feeling or all of those things. And, um, and, we never really get to the core, which I think is asking ourselves, like turning the mirror back on ourselves and saying, okay, I'm, I'm feeling a little, I'm feeling uncomfortable or I'm feeling isolated. Or I'm feeling left out. What is happening here for me? Um, and so, there are times there are people that I um, have connected to that I know, like I'm, they're only friends with me because they want to, like I'm some sort of pawn or object for which they can make themselves feel better. Um, And, you know, for that, I'm like, "Mm, I'm kind of tired of being, of running after, chasing after you and hoping that you'll like pay attention to me or, cause sometimes you will and sometimes you won't. And, and so, you know, I sit with myself and I say, okay, what is it about this relationship or what is it about this experience that you, that you seek? Mm -hmm. And then I say, do you need it from that place? Like, are there Mm -hmm. other places and people you can get it from? 
Um, and, and I think, again, having those internal dialogues with myself, recognizing when I feel connected and not, um, you know, it, it's one of the first things I think that um, from, you know, for myself and for, again, like the people that I work with on things like this is, is one of the first places that I go. Not to say that we own everything, but I think um, the lens in which we view things you know, how we come at something helps us to begin to interpret, you know, the narratives and the stories that people tell about us so that we can use some of the feedback to strengthen us and some of the feedback we just sort of get rid of that doesn't really prove helpful. Yeah. Um, so, so I would say for me, just recognizing that, um, you know, not, not every group, not every, um, you know, not every person you're going to feel the sense of belonging with, and I'm not sure we need to, mm. but understanding within yourself why that's important to you. And again, like having those internal dialogues in a way that's, you know, not judgmental, but, um, and, and giving yourself some grace. Yeah. I, it's, I think you're alluding, at least what I'm hearing, what, what I'm interpreting from what you're saying, Jen, there's another strategy in there that you've talked a lot about quite a bit. Um, and I want to sort of shine a light on it for a second so we could talk about it. And that is self-reflection. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and you said earlier, it's a cliche, but love of yourself. And, and I would argue more and more, I mean, in the reading I've done, and I know I've shared with you like bell hooks and in Chris Lowney's book on heroic leadership. And I just finished reading Karen Walrun's Lightmakers manifesto. There's this resurgence on love and how we've forgotten the power of love. And so I actually don't think it's a cliche. I actually think it's quite critical mm -hmm. to the things we're talking about. And I'm, I have my own story and would love, and if it's too personal, just say, nope, too personal. I'm really curious for you in your work doing that self-reflection, can you remember sort of how you started that practice? Like what because, you know, we spend, a, I mean, I spent a lot of my younger days, you know, in my head doing an unproductive things and not really reflecting in product in what, what I would call productive ways. And so I'm wondering what has helped you sort of make that shift and focus more on, on the internal and, and all the things you've mentioned? Yeah. I mean, I think there's, I think there's a few things. I mean, one, I started becoming more curious about mindfulness practice mm. uh, and philosophies and um, and really began to well, meditate more, mm -hmm. um, take more of that time for myself. And, and, and so just making that like uh, that decision to be more, again, like to do more understand, you know, to understand more about mindfulness, to start reflecting a little bit more and giving myself space. My father would always cause it, call it as a pause. So allowing myself to take a pause mm -hmm. and just do that. And then I would say, um, you know, cause I stepped away from counseling, like, you know, I haven't been doing uh, as much, you know, the counseling work um, since coming into higher ed, but um, through my children, mm -hmm. like it also sort of became really apparent that I had to check myself um, because we put so much on our kids 
to fulfill the things we can't fill in ourselves, <laughs> right? Like, you know, why, since I was never this, you know, I don't know, perfect student, right? Why does it have to be that you <laughs> need to take mm -hmm. that on? Or, um, you know, and again, when you sit in space of sport, you know, cause I'm kind of happy to be on the, uh, this end of it. But when you sit in that space, you're constantly in this comparison pool where you could drive yourself crazy and you feel it, you know, you feel it. So I think for me, um, what began to, what really started this shift is um, because, you know, there were spaces in my life that I just felt a lot of this tension and then, you know, recognizing that um, it wasn't a good headspace to be in. And then, you know, to doing more work around mindfulness we incorporate mindfulness within our program. You know, I've written on mindfulness practices and supervision. So being able to really like kind of embrace, not just use it as a cute strategy or we're all gonna like, you know, draw in sand today, but you know, really kind of, yeah, really sort of embracing the philosophies behind it um, was that shift. And I think it just bubbled up in this world of like, gosh, I, you know, Social media too, yeah. sorry, it's shifting, yeah. but that's another place where you just feel these comparisons being played out. And so yeah. you either drive yourself crazy with it or you find another way to live in it. And yeah. so I decided to find another way to live in it. That's, that's, yeah, I, I everything you said, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, <laughs> I just wrote down, I'm like season five, belonging in either comparison, competition or sports. I'm seeing, I'm already oh. seeing like the next season. And, and that last piece that you just said, you either choose to drive, let it drive you crazy or figure out another way to live in mm -hmm. it, not to avoid it, but right. how, right. how do you manage it? And I love what your, your father said about pause. Cause I have learned as an educator, as, as hard as it used to be, the best gift I can give my students during class is a pause Yeah, to let them sit together, to sit on their own, to sit in the class and just pause. So I just, I, I really, I really appreciate that reminder. So, oh, we could, I feel like we could do part two, part three, season <laughs> five, just on this conversation alone. So, um, Thank you. we always like to end, um, Jen with a, a question just to ask our, you know, guest, if there's anything you want to add that wasn't covered in our conversation or the questions just as we wrap up here. So I'll open it to you. Yeah, I, um, I guess, you know, I'm, a, I'm really grateful to have this conversation because I feel like even in just opening up the, the proposal of talking about belonging, again, got me thinking about all the, the connections that you make. Um, that I think really helps somebody feel a sense of connection. Um, and again, like sitting with the difference between fitting in mm -hmm. and belonging and what that means. And, um, and then, you know, so, so it generated a lot of good internal discussion um, for me as, you know, again, just sitting in this. So I love that you both are really pursuing this topic. I think it's, um, I think it's important. I think it's important for us to begin to really sort of unpack it for ourselves and make sense of it. So 
Well, thank yeah. you. I mean, I think Brianne and I, Brianne and I sort of metaphorically pinch ourselves every day that we get to speak to people like yourself on topics mm-hmm. that we just love to dig into. So thank you so much uh, for your time out of your busy schedule. And Brianne, as always, it was a pleasure to be with you again. Yes, likewise. Yeah. And I'm sure we might be coming back, Jen, to ask you to come back on sometimes. So. We have to do the sports thing. We have to do it somehow. <laughs> we do. We have to do it. We have yeah. to do a, an episode on sports. We can definitely fit it in for sure. Oh my so. gosh. Absolutely. That would be both. We would be laughing and crying all at the same time. Yeah. All in the mess, all in the beautiful mess. Yes. So absolutely. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Well, you, well, you heard it here first. There'll be an episode forthcoming around belonging and sports. Never thought it was possible, but but it's coming your way. So (laughs) thanks again to everybody who joined us and for everybody's listening. This is another episode of Tell Me This. Take care. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.